This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are pleased to have you join us as we offer up God's Word as the necessary food for His people. The Word of God finds its fullest expression in the person of Jesus Christ. May He be exalted before you today. Now here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. From 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, we're exploring the identity of the born-again person. Our last point was that this person is born out of the life of God, and so they're going to be unlike anyone who has not experienced this new birth. The Christian isn't like everyone else in the world in this key way. They have a new nature. And yet, as we will see today, this new birth will make all those who have been born again wonderfully alike in certain traits that belong only to those who have been born of God. Peter goes into the temple and there Peter heals a lame man by the beautiful gate and then he preaches this overwhelmingly powerful message and it's disturbing so the the guards in the temple mount take him and actually put him in prison. Peter and John. They put him in prison and you find out later on that they spend the night in prison but they also take the lame man who's been healed by them and he's in jail with them. He's been changed. The next day they bring him out before the leaders in the temple mount before the high priest and the high priest's family. Peter says to him, let it be known that it's by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and belief in his name that this man has been made whole. The name by which, the one that you crucified, and there is no other name in heaven and earth by which you must be saved. Verse 13 says of chapter 4, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, didn't kind of fit with what they were experiencing from them. They were astonished and recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's the new birth at play in our lives. Jesus is with us. He's in us. It makes us things that we couldn't be otherwise. Simple and common as we are, there's something uncommonly wonderful. Now this must never be a source of pride in our lives. It never must be a source of pride on our part. We are not to consider ourselves somehow better than others. We are not to be like the Pharisee who thanked God that he wasn't like that sinner over there. Actually, this new birth and this thing that we are that makes us unlike anyone else who doesn't have this experience in life should be a source of profound and utter humility because we know everything that's happened to us is by God's own doing. And anything that gives him glory and honor is only expressed in the fact that we take no pride or no, take no credit, but we yield continually back humbly at his feet to let Christ be all that he wants to be in us. We could not have brought this life in ourselves. We were born of God. It was a work of his mercy. It was a work of his grace alone. It's humility that it authors within us. Now this brings us to our sixth point in the consideration just briefly of what we have in our passage here. This also means that this new birth is making us alike. It makes us unlike those who don't have the new birth, but it makes us alike those who do. It makes us alike in at least two key ways in this passage. It's an experience that's common to all those who have the new birth. And the first one is this. We are continually growing in our faith. We are continually expressing our belief in Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one. The one who is born out of God believes that Jesus is the Christ. It is an expanding faith as well. It's not like we believe just once and it's over. No, he is our priest who brings to us our salvation. 
before God every single day and mediates His Spirit of salvation to us, leading us in deeper and deeper holiness and sanctifying and purifying us. He's the prophet who continually speaks to us and brings to us the words of life from this very word. His is the voice resonating as we read it and as He teaches and instructs us. He is our King who rules and reigns in our hearts Our whole lives are becoming more and more calibrated to His life, His will, as our prophet, as our priest, as our king. We didn't just believe Him once. We believe in Him to the very end. And remarkably, we believe in Him more and more each day. Oh, we have our times of doubt. We have our times of confusion. We have our questions. But through it all, we see how faithful He is. Even when we've not been faithful to Him, He's our point of reference and our perspective. When our lives are rough and rocky and we fall down and we falter, we find out that oftentimes it took place because we took our eyes off of Him. We remember again the commandment to the child of God in Hebrews chapter 12 too that we are to be looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith within us. What am I saying here? Faith in Christ in itself, believing Christ for salvation is in itself a family likeness of the child of God. The first expression of regenerate life was faith to believe in Him. God imparting this, and it's continued on from there. It's kind of like, in a family way, it's like the child who, at least until they're 16, thinks their dad is the smartest, the strongest, the greatest, the bravest kind of natural in the family. In the family of God, our overwhelming prejudice, and it's true, is there's no other one like Jesus. No other one like Him. He is supreme in everything. The second feature is love. We love God, and we love God's children. And these two things are not two things, they're one. They're one thing. They don't go one without the other. The testimony of a child who realizes the love of their father is that they love the father back, but they don't just love the father back. They love everyone that the father loves. See what happens in families. A loving family is a testament to loving parents and this is the simple math of things. 1 John 4:19. 1 John 4:19. I think you know this verse. We love him because he first loved us. Have you heard it? We love him because he first loved us. It's a great passage. When I share my testimony, I share my testimony based upon this idea that this was the truth. God has always loved me. It was his love that initiated my love for him. Actually, if you look at the majority of the manuscripts of the Greek text and what seems to be the most truest expression of this passage, it reads like this. It really doesn't read, we love him because he first loved us. It reads like this. We love because he first loved us. We love. It's his love for us that bears its fruit as we've received and transformed and now he's the life within us that expresses itself in love. How wonderful it is. And I've had the experience not only in my life with both of my fathers, my father-in-law and my own father, 
And I've had the opportunity through invitation to be there for other members, to be in that place where children are watching over the death of their mother or their father. As that parent is fading away, how the love infuses in that place of these children for their parents, but oftentimes it's watching the parent who can do nothing left. They've had every strength drawn from them in the rigors of death, and yet they can pucker. And they do. And you'll see their kisses falling upon the necks of their children. And the children loving them back. God loves us. He's brought us forth life. We're not born of men, we're born of Him. It was not our natural ability and our power. It was all by His grace. It was all through and began when He gave us faith in His Son. It carries its way through with a constant, expressive, reverberating of His own love for His children as we love Him and we love His children. Here's the conclusion. It's just... How foolish then for Christians to live on old terms, to live our lives making naturalistic comparisons with one another, to find the shortfallings of one and the gains of another, to find our worth in superior conclusions or material possessions or attainments of our own efforts, measuring ourselves by what we are more or what we are less or what they are more or what they are less, finding our essence of significance in a few good deeds or a pattern of behavior we've cultivated, relationships even that we've formed. We're something other than this. We have been born out of God. We have born out of the very life of God. We're to live constantly looking in belief always to the Lord Jesus and drawing our life from Him and loving the Lord Jesus and above everything else, letting Him love and express His love through us so that our engagement with others is always an expression of pity and kindness and graciousness. What attitudes often we have in our life towards one another differs. It doesn't always play out this way, although it should. And God rebukes us, which is wonderful that He does, and He corrects us, and we should be thankful for that. But the love of the family should be nothing more than an extension of the Father's love and grace. So often we get caught in a situation where we judge by external surroundings and trappings. I was thinking yesterday of the story of Jacob in Exodus chapter 28. He's in this barren, secluded place all by himself, seeming wilderness. There's no place for him to sleep. He lies down. He doesn't have a pillow for himself. He's left without any provisions. He grabs as a rock and he lays his head upon a rock as like it was a pillow and while he's sleeping there, he has a vision and he sees the heavens opened up and he sees a ladder or a staircase coming down to him and he sees the throne of God above him and he sees in this dream God sending angels down to him and going back from him, ministering to him on this ladder. And In this dream, God gives him a promise that the very land that he's on will be a place that he will inhabit and that God will bless him and bless his seed and make him a blessing to all the nations. And when Jacob wakes up, Jacob says this, Surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than God's house, the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Bethel is what he named the place, and Bethel means the house of God. And let me just say to you, if all that we've said is true, then the born-again Christian's experience is a Bethel existence. It's a Bethel life. 
I could have added to this that you're not born solitarily. You're born into a family. That's the point here. You're born into a family. This is the house of God. We as God's children live in this house together. Let us live in it in godly fear. Let us live in it expressing Jesus' own joy and satisfaction in His children. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, may every ounce of desire that we have in our lives to love you more and to serve you more not simply be some individualistic pursuit. May every impulse for love to you be such an overflowing with your life and a desire to know you that it would overflow to others. Overflow uniquely and particularly to those among us and those with us who have been born again of God. Lord, I pray for an individual here who's come. They've thought, well, I'm a good person. I grew up in a good family. I believe certain things. I believe in God. I believe that Jesus exists. I'm trying to be moral and make good decisions. I'm improving. I'm better than I was yesterday. Oh, God, put in their heart a recognition that you want to give them something completely different, absolute and new life to be born again. And I pray, dear God, today they would believe you for that. Christ has died for me. He's bore my sins. He wants to live in me and transform me. God, may they, in that nudge, open their hearts to you and let you come and reside there as Master and Lord and Savior, Savior of sin and the imparter of new life. I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.